Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. My name's Stephen Baker. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're visiting with us, you should know that our senior pastor, Jody Killingsworth, has been preaching through Philippians with us. And we have come up to chapter two. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of camping out on verses two to, or one to 11 in chapter two. It's this one section that hangs together and is making a single point. And the main point is that the Apostle Paul wants us to be united in spirit of the same mind maintaining the same love, intent on one purpose. He wants us to be bound together in love and unity. And to do that, he says, we need to do something that, uh, that ain't natural, right? In order to do that, in order to have that oneness of mind, that unity that binds us together in love, we have to do things like this. We have to do nothing from selfish or selfishness or empty conceit. That's not normal. We have to regard one another as more important than ourselves. That's not normal. We have to not just look out for our own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's not normal. So how are we going to do that? And so what the Apostle Paul does is he reaches into his, his truck, because this, this tool isn't big enough for the toolbox. He reaches into the truck and he pulls out a massive lever, right? There's something really big to move. What needs to be moved is us, our selfish pride. So he gets out this massive lever and he goes to work. And the lever is the humility, the mind-blowing condescension of Jesus Christ himself. That's the lever, that's what he's using to move us. And so today we're gonna to get into the very end of this, which is verses nine to 11. But I want us to read the whole thing, to remember the whole thing, and to see it, and feel it. So, this is God's word, it's eternally true. Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, 
taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the central truth of the Bible. This is the central truth of our faith. This is the central truth of reality. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is not just the Lord of Christians. Do you understand? He is not just the Lord of Christians. He is Lord of all creatures everywhere. He is Lord of the, of the lower created world. Every animal and bird and fish and bug exists for him. Every lightning bolt and planet and supernova springs to his command. Every atom and molecule and cell snaps to attention and carries out his will and his will alone. And he is Lord of all the gods of all the nations. He is Lord of those, it says, who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He is Lord of every angel, both good and evil. He is Lord of every demon. He is Lord of every principality and power and dominion, Lord of every monster and every spirit, Lord of Baal and Moloch. He is Lord of Zeus and Apollo. He is Lord of Odin and Thor, Lord of Brahma and Vishnu and Shiva. He is Lord of Allah. He is Lord of Satan himself that dragon, that deceiver, that serpent, the adversary, the accuser. He has disarmed them all. He has made a public display of them. He has triumphed over them. Every one of them will bow to the Lord Jesus. None of them can triumph over you if you cast yourself under the power and protection and provision of King Jesus. And he is Lord of every man, every woman, every child, high or low, rich or poor, young or old, black or white. He is Lord of all of us. He is Lord of the Caesar of Rome, Lord of the Pharaoh of Egypt, Lord of the Emperor of China, Lord of the President of the United States, Lord of the President of Russia, 
Lord of the Chancellor of Germany and the King of England and the Supreme Leader of North Korea, Lord of the Supreme Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. He is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, not in name only. He is highly exalted. He is super exalted. That's what the word means here in Philippians, super exalted. How? How did Jesus Christ attain this position? Well, it says he is highly exalted, verse nine, because God highly exalted him. God the Father, God the Father Almighty, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he highly exalted him. What does that exaltation look like? It says in verse nine, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. The Lord God Almighty, God the Father, freely and gladly gave Jesus, his son, the name which is above every name. That means that God the Father placed his son, Jesus Christ, in the seat of highest honor. His name, his person, his dignity, his power is lifted up far beyond every other name above every other power or authority or supposed majesty anywhere in creation. He is now king of kings and lord of lords. He is above them all. All authority, remember, in heaven and on earth belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. But hold on a second. Think. Wasn't he already Lord? Wasn't he already Lord? We saw last week in Philippians 6, Jesus existed in the form of God. He possessed equality with God. Why does this say that God exalted him? This is something new, this is something different. He bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Didn't the Son of God have all of that already? Well, the Son of God is God. There's no doubt about that. He certainly possessed all the glory and the power and the dominion that belongs to God eternally from eternally past, eternity past. The Son of God has been God. John 1 begins like this, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That word is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He is God. He's always been God. He, he made the world and everything in it. Colossians 1 says, he, Jesus, 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, invisible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So yes, the Son of God has always had this exaltation as God, because he is God. Everything that's true of God is true of him. Because he is himself God. Co-equal in power and nature and existence with God the Father Almighty. Hebrews says he is the radiance of his glory. The Son is the radiance of the glory of the Father, the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. That's speaking of the Son of God. And so, what in the world is the Apostle Paul saying here in Philippians 2? What is he saying? What is he talking about? How can it be that if Jesus is and always has been the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the, the Yahweh, the I am of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how can it be that he was exalted? How can it be that he was given this name, the name that's above every name? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us, doesn't he? In verse nine, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. For this reason also, what reason? The eternal son of God, he says, emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name. Brothers and sisters, this is the most magnificent and mind-blowing fact of the universe. This is the most amazing thing you will ever hear in your life. It is. Not that the Son of God made the world and everything in it. That's what the Son of God would do. Not that the Son of God has always existed as a second person of the Godhead. The most magnificent fact of the universe is this, the Son of God came down. He came down. God humbled himself. He humbled himself, why? In order to die. He humbled himself in order to die. In order to bear the righteous wrath of God for sinners like you and me, the wrath that we deserved. 
He stood in our place and took it fully on himself. That is why God the Father highly exalted him. He highly exalted him because he humbled himself so deeply, humbled himself to the point of death, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. This exaltation is as high as his humiliation is low. From the cross to the crown, from the crown of thorns to the crown of glory. That's how it works. In God's world, this is how it works. Infinite condescension results in highest glory, highest honor. And so this is the mind-bending truth of God. Jesus receives from God the Father a higher place, a place of power and authority and glory that he would not have had if it wasn't for his humility. That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching. And this is what the New Testament says everywhere. Jesus himself said in Luke 24, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary? It had to be this way. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? That's how it works. The apostle Peter, when he's preaching to the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, he says, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul says, this is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So Jesus died and God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He says in Colossians 1, he is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He died so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Hebrews 1, when he had made purification of sins by humbling himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Hebrews 2, but we see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Listen to this. Because 
of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory of honor and honor. That's how it works. And this is why the angels and all the inhabitants of heaven, we hear them singing in places like Revelation 5, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals. Why? For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so, yes, the Son of God has always been Lord, God, creator of all things. He has this eternally magnificent glory as the creator of all things, and yet this glory is even greater. The King of glory, the Son of God, became poor for you. He took on flesh for you the emperor of the universe became a man of no reputation for you. This is glorious beyond imagination. The angels can't figure this out. Christ's humility is magnificent. His humility. His humility is glorious. His glory and magnificence are not reduced by his humility. They are magnified by his humility. And the same will be true of you. The same will be true of you. When you, listen, you have gifts, you have dignity, you have glory as a man or woman made in the image of God, you do, you do. And God has given you positions. He's given you gifts, he's given you strength. And when you, with all of that, with your position as pastor or elder or father or husband or mother or boss or wise old man or wise old woman, when you, with all that position that God has in fact given you, when you, even though you have all of that from God, when you humble yourself to be the servant of all, do you see? then God will exalt you. Oh, I don't want to be exalted. That doesn't sound right. Well, God says it all the time. And he promises it to you if you'll humble yourself. This is God's pattern. Humiliation, exaltation. The way up is down. You remember when Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel and he came to her and told her that she, this little teenage peasant, 
was going to bear the king of the universe in her womb. Remember what she said? She said, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich empty-handed. James says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. Peter says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Oh, I don't want to be exalted. Well, then that means you're proud. Because this is what God promises to those who humble themselves. Are you too, too really, you're really too proud to receive the blessings of God? The promises of God? This is how it works. If you, if, you, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. You do want to save your life, don't you? God loves humility. He rewards humility. He blesses humility. He makes promises to humility. Which is to say that God hates pride and he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't you want the grace of God? This is Paul's point. We are, remember, to have this attitude in ourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. We are to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind to consider others as better than ourselves, more important than ourselves. We must not merely look for our, out for our own personal interests, but also for the interests of one another. Why? Because the Lord of glory laid aside his splendor and was abased to the lowest of the low for you. That's why. For you. but you want to make a name for yourself. You want to lord it over your wife? You want to lord it over your little sister? You want to sit in on the judgment throne of the universe, passing your judgments pronouncing sentence on all the little peons, all the little inferiors that you scorn at in your highly exalted position. Or even, even more perversely than that, we use Christ's lordship as an excuse to look down on our neighbors Jesus Christ is Lord, that means I get to look down on you, sinners. How utterly, exquisitely perverse is that? Or you wanna live in your cynicism or your stoicism, 
that is hopeless. That is faithless. And that means your life is lordless. To do all of this is, is to exalt yourself above the Lord of glory, to usurp him from his glorious throne. But if we call him Lord, here's an idea. How about we do what he says? Remember what Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? And he says to humble ourselves. And he's given us the most perfect example of that that we could possibly imagine himself. Now, why? Why? Why did God the Father highly exalt our Lord Jesus and bestow on him the name above every name? What is the purpose? What's the end of that? What's the, what's the point? It says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God exalted Jesus Christ to the highest place so that every knee of every creature will bow to him and that every tongue of every creature will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. This has always been the plan. This has always been the point. We read Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is the most frequently quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. It's Psalm 110, by far. When the apostles are writing the New Testament, this is what they're thinking. This is all about this. The Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh said to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's what God is doing. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the cross. You remember this? He endured the cross. How? How do you do that? How do you endure such, an, such amazing pain? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy? What was the joy that he, he saw on the other side of the cross, right? That's how it works. There's joy on the other side of the cross. And so that joy is so great that it allows him to endure the cross and think nothing of the shame of it all. Because what? What's on the other side? He's sitting down at the right hand of God. The joy was this exaltation the exaltation above all things up to the right hand of the throne of God, the, the joy 
that allowed him to endure such humiliation and pain and death was this absolute unconditional fact that he would thereby rule all the nations to the glory of God. This is not an afterthought. This is not an accident. This is not something that might happen somewhere in the by and by. This is the point. It's the joy of Jesus to rule the nations for their good. Do you remember Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. It's the psalm that Jesus quoted while he was hanging on the cross, remember? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember that? They've surrounded me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. They've cast lots for my garment. Remember all of this? Psalm 22. But Psalm 22 is about more than the pain. It is about the joy. So it begins with the pain. Here's how Psalm 22 ends. Starting in verse 27. Listen to this. This is what Jesus saw. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. I didn't make that up. It's what Jesus died for. That's the joy set before him. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. This is the joy. This is his exaltation. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord now. He began to reign at his ascension when he rose up to heaven and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. That's when he began to reign. This is not something that's in the future. He's reigning now. He's reigning now. Daniel, the prophet, saw visions, right, as prophets do. And this is one of the visions that God showed to Daniel. He showed Daniel the vision of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, having been crucified and raised from the dead, ascending to the right hand of God, just like it says he would, right? Daniel sees this as if he's seated in the heavenly places and watching it happen from there. This is what it says. This is Daniel 7, starting in 13. It says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days. This is God the Father. He came up to heaven, to the, to the courtroom of heaven. 
came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. It was given to him that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Jesus Christ is Lord. Not will be. Is. And he will reign. He is reigning. He will reign until all his enemies are under his feet. Sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is what he's doing. 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. He died. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who were asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. The Lordship of Christ is your only hope for life. And when, when all of it gets wrapped up, that's the last enemy. The last enemy to deal with is death. That's how effective and powerful and magnificent his lordship is. Jesus Christ is Lord. No one is too strong for our Lord Christ. No one can resist him. No one can beat him. Every knee will bow to him. Your knee will bow to him. Your knee will bow to him. If you bow now, gladly, willingly, joyfully, you will find him to be a merciful, compassionate, kind, gentle, meek, humble Lord and Savior and friend. Friend. And he will come alongside you. He will comfort you. He will give you peace. He promised to do it. He will save you from all your enemies. He will share with you everything that's his. This is the kind of Lord he is. This is what good lords do. They just share everything they've got with their people. Protect them. 
This is what he will do for you. And you will be saved. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. He has all the power to save you. But if you refuse to bow your knee now, make no mistake, you will bow your knee when you appear before him in judgment. You will. The one whom you mock now, the one whom you dismiss now, the one whom you disobey now, even though you call him Lord. Why do you call me Lord and, not, and don't do the things I say? The one whom you just ignore, the one whom you pay lip service to, when you see him in, your, in his glory, when you stand in his presence and see his might and his awesome power, his absolute authority, you will bow to him. You will bow to him reluctantly and with shame, but you will bow with, to him and you will bow with awe. And you will have to confess that he is Lord. There will be no more room for doubt or mockery or indifference or atheism or agnosticism or other gods. There will be no avoiding the obvious anymore. And he will judge you. He will judge you. He will dash you to pieces with a rod of iron because you've refused his merciful lordship. You've refused his offer to you to save you. For him to use all of his power to rescue you from death. And you say, no. I will not have you be Lord over me. And so he will give you what all of us deserve. This is what all of us deserve. This is how the Bible describes it. This is what it's like, and this is no joke. He says, you will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. That's what scripture says. It says that you will be tormented with fire and brimstone. This is not a joke that we get to mock fire and brimstone. No, you will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. This is what comes to everyone who refuses to bow now. And so, bow. With humility, with repentance, with faith, with hope, 
with great joy, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. You'll be saved. And you'll find him a powerful, kind, gracious, able Savior for you and your sins. So, Christ's humility is our example. It's massive. And Christ's exaltation is our hope. Or Christ's exaltation is our doom. One or the other. One or the other. So which will it be for you? Come to him. Bow your knee to him. He is able to save you completely. If you're thinking, well, he can't save me, what kind of puny God is that? What kind of puny God is that? He is Lord. That's why he can save you, even you. Let's pray. Father, would you please help us? Lord Jesus, help us. To gladly and with great joy and faith and hope bow our knee to you. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for standing here with hard hearts, being ashamed to confess with our mouths that you are Lord, living as if you're not Lord, living as if we are Lord, as if we are the ones on the judgment throne of the universe. Lord, what great treachery and sin that is. Please, Lord, save us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.